Hello. Thank you for letting me into your eardrums again this week. I'm Sarah Wendell. This is Smart Podcast Trashy Books, episode number 487. My guest today is Julia Quinn. She joins me to talk about The Wit and Wisdom of Bridgerton, a new release collecting quotes about the different characters, plus new commentary from Lady Whistledown. It's very fun. I have questions from members of the Patreon. So to Katerine, Crystal, Rhonda, Catherine, Agnes, Kelly, Laura, and Kate, thank you for the questions. I also want to let you know that at about 42 minutes in, we are going to talk about the, her recent loss of her father and her sister in a vehicular homicide. She also shares some very funny memories of her sister. And we have some behind-the-scenes details about Bridgerton Season 2. We cover a lot in this interview. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community who makes episodes like this possible by making sure that I have really interesting questions to ask and that every episode like this one receives a transcript. If you'd like to have a look at our Patreon community, it is patreon.com slash smartbitches. If you are looking for more podcasts to listen to, may I introduce you to Wit Beyond Measure. Are you a fan of stories with strong female leads, witty banter, and romantic themes? Do you revel in writing that examines the timeless relatability of human existence? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, then you may be a fan of Jane Austen. And in that case, Wit Beyond Measure is the podcast for you. It doesn't matter if you're reading Austen for the first time or if your well-worn copy of Pride and Prejudice is your go-to read. Wit Beyond Measure will be your next favorite podcast. Wit Beyond Measure is found wherever you listen to podcasts and follow them on Instagram at WBM Podcast. I will have links to where you can find Wit Beyond Measure in the show notes at smartpitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast or in the little window thing that comes with your podcast app where you get all the details about the show. This podcast is brought to you in part by Prose. Now, most of you have heard me talking about learning to take better care of my hair in the quarantines, and you may have heard me talking about Pros, the world's most personalized hair care. First, there is a quiz, an in-depth hair quiz. Pros has given over 1 million consultations, and my results created a custom blend that has made my hair softer, my surprising amount of curls more defined, and because I get to choose my own scent, it smells incredible too. Pros also has a review and refine feature that lets me tweak the formula for any reason, like change of hair color. All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. And if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash trashybooks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash trashybooks for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. This podcast is brought to you in part by Headspace. If you're like me, your thoughts can be confusing enough, but meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep all in one app making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving that meditation works. A study proved that in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Now, I was skeptical, and I wasn't sure if it would work for me, but Headspace is a great addition to my day, and I have a free sample for you. Are you ready? You want to take a little break? All right, here we go. So sitting comfortably, just taking a big, deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. 
As you breathe in, noticing how the body expands. And as you breathe out, just watching the body soften as you gently close the eye. And rather than the mind leading the breath, allow the breath to lead the mind. Notice the sensation of the breath. Notice where you feel it in the body. If you need to, you can just gently place your hand on the stomach. And just following that rising and falling sensation. Nothing else to do, allowing thoughts to come and go. And then when you're ready, just gently opening the eyes again. Well, that was lovely. Find some Headspace at headspace.com slash Sarah and get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash Sarah today. Headspace.com slash Sarah. This podcast is brought to you in part by FrameBridge. FrameBridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. From art prints and posters to the photos sitting on your phone, you can FrameBridge just about anything. And this holiday season, FrameBridge is the perfect way to give a gift they'll really want to receive. Give people something special that only you could give. Just go to FrameBridge.com and upload your photo. Or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and wall layouts, the experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver all the finished pieces straight to you or anyone else on your list. A handcrafted personalized gift from FrameBridge starts at just $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when you use my code, Sarah. Now, because FrameBridge can frame objects like cross stitches, I am planning to send in two completed projects, one for me and one a surprise that I made for a friend, and I cannot wait to give it to them. You can get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code Sarah to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com promo code Sarah, framebridge.com promo code Sarah. This episode is brought to you in part by ZocDoc. ZocDoc helps you search for local doctors who take your insurance. Just download the free ZocDoc app, the easiest way to find a great doctor, and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can read verified patient reviews and book an appointment in person or video chat. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. I love that I don't have to cross-reference insurance coverage and appointment availability with travel distance and any patient reviews I can find. Instead of six tabs, I just have one site and it's a lot faster and much less stressful. Go to ZocDoc.com Sarah and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com Sarah and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Sarah. I am so excited to share this episode with you. On with my conversation with Julia Quinn. My name is Julia Quinn, and I am an author of historical romance novels. Yeah, I think that about sums it up, right? It pretty much does. I mean, I've got a couple side projects going right now. Yeah. Like the thing on Netflix, but you know. I've I've heard a few things about the thing on Netflix. <laughs> Just a little bit about it. It's a little crazy, but um, <laughs> awesome. crazy awesome. 
I have a bunch of questions from members of my Patreon. And let's start with Catherine's question. Is there going to be a new book or series or content or is Bridgerton all consuming for a few years? And I was so excited when I got this question because I was like, I already know the answer. You have a new book coming out with the wit and wisdom of Bridgerton. Yes. Congratulations. I mean, thank you. I, this is where I forget I'm doing a podcast because I was actually about to pick something up and show everyone. Um, (laughs) Show and tell. (laughs) Show and tell. You can see. You know, it's kind of new. Um, it, that it is a collection of some of the best Bridgerton quotes, um, but with a little bit of new material in there. So what what happened was Avon, my longtime publisher, came to me saying they wanted to do a gift book. And the initial idea was the wit and wisdom of Lady Whistledown. And I said, you know, I don't know if there's enough material there for a whole book. And my editor said to the people who had pitched it that she says, that's what I said, but they said they want to give it a try. Um, because I, I think perhaps they didn't realize that, you know, the people who were were pitching this, that, you know, Lady Whistledown is actually only in half of the Bridgerton novels. And, and it's just the opening of, of chapters. And so, you know, within a week, they come back and they're like, yeah, there isn't enough material for a whole book. So but then we thought of this idea for Bridgerton and we kind of tossed around the idea of how do you structure it? And the idea was to structure it around each character. Right. So we did each of the Bridgerton siblings. We did Kate, Simon, Penelope, Violet, and Lady Danbury. I think I got them all. Yep. And for each of them, I did write a new Lady Whistledown entry, which was really fun. I hadn't picked up the Lady Whistledown pen in a really long time. So it's a very specific mindset of snark without being super mean, but still being snarky. And, um, and so it was really fun, but it is mostly material that has been previously published with a little bit of new stuff, a new intro. So yeah, so that is new, although it is still in the all-consuming Bridgerton world, I suppose. Yeah, 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 yeah. How fun was it to look look back at the characters and become Lady Whistledown again? Because you mentioned in the intro that it's been 20 years since you've written Lady Whistledown's <laughs> words. I mean, that's a really long time. Um and to have that character evolve and then have a visual representation is really something. How much fun was it to go back and be Lady Whistledown again for a little while? It was it was really weird and wonderful, I guess, um, which is kind of a cop out to say because you could take that to mean just about anything. I'm not somebody who goes back and rereads my books very often. In fact, I just don't. When I finish a book, I, I've, I've read it a hundred times, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, by the time I'm done, I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is so predictable. You know, and of course, if you've read something a hundred times, it's it's incredibly predictable. I mean, it's a romance, so we all can predict the ending. Right. But, you know, just the little twists and turns, you know, I'm like, oh gosh. I, and it's so funny. I've had PR people saying, stop telling that story. But it's true. You know, by the time I'm done, I'm like, gosh, you know, why would anybody want to read this? You could predict every single word. Well, of course <laughs> you can if you wrote it and you read it a hundred times. So I'm generally not interested in rereading my own stuff in its entirety again. I will go back to look for specific things. So this time I had to go back and if not read them again, do a a skim, Mm -hmm. a a fairly purposeful skim, trying to find quotations that fit the characters, but also can be used pretty much out of context, which is a little bit difficult. There are some great parts 
you know, if I may pat myself on the back, I was like, wow, I really like this, but you just can't figure a way to pull it out of context. So that was a little challenging to find the quotations that worked out of context. So anyway, it was very interesting to go back to these works that I haven't looked at for so long because one, I was like, oh, not that bad, actually, you know? These are these are kind of fun. Um, you know, I hadn't I hadn't looked at them in so long. But also, I'm not a very visual writer. I've said that many times, yes. you know, long before the show. I'm not somebody who sees my characters in my head. Um, and and I think that makes sense if you read my books, they're not hugely descriptive. And you know, I could give you all sorts of, you know, oh, well, I want the reader to be able to imagine them. No, I'm just not a descriptive writer. And so it was very interesting to now have these visual images of the characters in my head. Mm-hmm. And they they were absolutely there. I mean, I'm seeing Reggae Jean Page right now, what, you know, every time I read him. I mean, he's he will always look like Reggae Jean Page now. I mean, the world would be fabulous if everybody looked like Reggae Jean Page. I mean, that but, is true. Yes. I I may or may not have a photo of me with Reggae and his arm around me, like favorited in my phone. <laughs> You know, the only phone picture I have that's favorite is a high school picture of my husband with a truly majestic mullet that he had at 15. I think your favorite is better. That's funny. I, I Now I'm like curious, like what else is in the favorites? I mean, I think I had like a copy of my driver's license. I Important. Yeah. Important. Um, but now I'm like, ooh, do I have any uh, pictures of my husband in the favorites? Because that's that's maybe not good. Well, I mean, um, mine is he's 15 with a gigantic mullet. So it's not like it's a romantic picture. Mostly I provide it as visual evidence when I say, oh yeah, in high school, when I met my husband, he had a really big mullet. And people are like, really? And I'm like, just wait right there. I'll show it to you. Well, you know, this is what happened too, because everybody kept asking to see this picture so much of, oh, I do have a cute picture of Paul and me favorited. I feel better now. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Glad but, that. but everybody kept asking to see it. So I needed to make it favorited. So. Holy. Oh, dear God. For all you people who, who can't actually see what's happening, I just showed her the picture. But now I feel like I must show you this picture. There I am with my my actual husband. That's fine. Um, I get it. <laughs> that's fine. Like, he's nice. Yeah. Um, oh, I have some good stuff in here. Favorited. My goodness. My most embarrassing moment from high school. Oh, my God. Yeah, just picture that on a screen in front of the entire student body. No. Explain this photo, please. What? Okay. Well, for this the story to make sense, you have to know that my maiden name is Cotler. And you also have to know that there's a brand of clothing called Cotler jeans or Cotler pants or something. And I am not related to these Cotlers. I've never met these Cotlers. All I know is that they make pants and maybe they make other stuff and, and maybe they still make them. I don't know. But they did in the 80s when I was in high school. And so I went to a private school where um, sometimes we would have these all school meetings in the auditorium and you would it, they would take attendance um, because they want you had to be there. You had to attend these these lectures. And so we had this lecturer come in. He was a sociologist from Harvard, I think, and he was talking about like subliminal messages and the power of advertising. Oh no. Yeah. And and so there's a slideshow going on and we're in the auditorium and normally you have to sit in alphabetical order. Oh, and so no. that's how they can take your, cause you have an assigned seat that you go to and you sit in your assigned seat for every single all school meeting. And, and, but we do this thing where like, you know, whenever we were having these evening meetings, sometimes you would switch with somebody so you could sit next to your best friend. So that was really good. So I was not seated in the C's. I had switched with somebody so I could sit over in the K's with my, my roommate, this guy gets up there and he goes, um, and as always, 
sex sells. And then this image comes up, which I, I will describe to you and I will provide Sarah with the link so she can show you all, but it's from Kotler pants. And it says, everybody's getting into Kotler's pants. And it didn't say Kotler pants, which was the name of the jeans. It was Kotler's apostrophe S possessive pants. And it has this image of this, this guy. Oh, no. It's his naked. I mean, it could be like a really bad romance novel cover. I think he's, he's not wearing a shirt and there's this woman who looks positively feral and she's like wrapped around him with her, her hand, like in the back of his pants and her legs wrapped around. It's very I mean, provocative. It, I, I don't know if that's provocative. It's just like bizarre. Ew. She looks like she's going to yeah. like take a bite out of his carotid artery. Doesn't she look a little vampirish? So this goes up on the giant screen oh, in God. the auditorium and I'm a senior so like, even if people don't know me, most people are kind of aware that somebody at the school with this name exists. And there's a moment of absolute silence oh, as everybody takes this in. And then the auditorium just goes crazy. Oh, no. As I'm sure you can imagine, people are hooting and hollering and they're yelling my ex-boyfriend's name. The guy on stage is sort of like, what, what? the heck is happening? You know, he has no idea. And I'm meanwhile sinking into my... See, and my roommates next to me going like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, you know, and I'm going like, I, I mean, I can't even speak. And she's just like, oh my God, oh my God. And everybody, I mean, it was just, I think it took, a, in my imagination, it took like a good two minutes for everybody to calm down. It was probably still a full minute. It was, I actually went back to my high school and delivered the commencement address this year. And I included that story. Um, and I got them even to put the the image up. And I, my, I said, this is my gift to you. So you know that your most embarrassing moment here will never be the most embarrassing moment here because that one belongs to me. <laughs> you know, so I guess, I guess this, the story is, is that if you're going to give a commencement address somewhere, you know, show them the, the awful story of you getting like completely embarrassed on a massive screen scale. Yeah. On a massive screen sale. I mean, this is like a movie theater size screen with that oh, thing on God. there. So anyway, I put this up on Instagram ages and ages ago, um, and I will send Sarah the link so she can yeah, to it. Yeah, it's really something. Oh, my God. It, it is really something. And I think that I'm glad to spread this joy to everyone. <laughs> it's one of those things I have. I've reached the age where, and actually, you know, it, it, I pretty quickly was able to see the humor in it. Right. Um, I, I actually now looking back on it, I shudder to think, like, what if that had happened to, you know, a different girl on campus? Oh, yeah. Who, who could have been like slut shamed in a terrible way. You know, just these are things that that, that didn't occur to me at the time. Yep. I mean, I don't think we were all thinking about that sort of thing then, but um, that huh. was an exciting moment in my high school years. And now it's preserved forever on Instagram. You mentioned in the intro, and you just mentioned that when you were rereading the originals to compile all of these quotes, you heard and saw the actors in their oh, roles, yeah. which I completely agree. Like those are the voices I'm going to hear. Rhonda asked, actually asked a, a related question. I'm curious about your thoughts on the inevitable changes between the book and the film slash TV, especially the decision to reveal Lady Whistledown's identity to the viewers at the end of season one. And I, I recently saw an Instagram video, she says, with the cast that said it was a reshoot to change the ending that was originally planned. I did not know that. Yes. So this is one of those things where I'm not sure how much I can tell. I understand completely. First of all, I need to make it clear, I am not in the writer's room. And, and I think that that's a good thing. As much as like, 
you know, me, you know, wanting to be a joiner and a part and everything would love it. I also think that my presence would be disruptive um, because I don't know that people would feel free to express all their opinions if the author of the source material was there. So I'm not in the writer's room. I'm not part of these, these major decisions on how to adapt the books. And before I read the very first script, uh, I was talking with some people from Shondaland, not, not Shonda this time, but they were like, Shonda says, Shonda says, um, Shonda says, when you read the first script, you know, there are some obvious changes and especially how we set things up. And just to bear in mind, and I said, well, it's a different medium. And they said, well, yes, but also bear in mind that in many ways, we need to educate the viewership as to what a romance novel is. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. And and actually, I feel in many ways, that's what season two is doing, because look at the huge uproar when people realized that Reggae Jean Page wasn't coming back in season two. Right. Which made total sense to me. I was like, well, yeah, there's nothing for him to do. He's He's done his thing. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. People who don't read romance novels expect us to be following the same main two characters the whole time. Whereas all the romance novel readers are like, well, no, that's not how a romance series works. We yeah. get new people. So this is part of, part of the education of, of the Netflix viewing public. This isn't Outlander, which is a series following one couple. This is Bridgerton, which right. has many couples. And, and that was actually something I had thought about when they were casting how it must have been a very different casting experience than anybody had ever done because you, you're working with these actors and saying, okay, well, we're casting in this role and you're a supporting member of the cast. And in season three, maybe you'll be the lead. Yeah. But for now you're supporting and this is how it works. And yeah, it, it's very different. I, I started reading it and I realized that the way that they had structured it um, you know, opening with the presentation, which actually wasn't in the books. The Lady Wisdom voiceovers provide even more framework than they did in the books. Yeah. It was exactly the right way to do it. And I would never have thought of it, which really reinforces my belief that the smartest thing you can do in life is recognize when people are smarter than you. Oh, gosh. Yes, that's absolutely true. And when to get out of the way. Exactly. And, and you know, I think I'm a pretty smart person, but I have no experience with television. Nope, me neither. This isn't isn't what I do. And these people did such a great job. And so the, you know, the changes that they made, I think were all changes that serve the medium of film and television really well. Um, For example, the, the secondary characters, most of them play a much bigger role in season one than they did in the Duke and I, I mean, they're in the Duke and I. Mm-hmm. Here, which I think was important to make it more of an ensemble show. Um, and I just, I think the changes are fabulous. And, and I love, one of the things I love is that, you know, when I'm stalking the interwebs, sometimes I'll see people saying, oh, the book is better. And sometimes I'll see people saying, oh, the show is better. And it's about half and half. And I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I think that's great. I think if it was all one or all the other, then one of us wouldn't have done our job quite as well. Yeah. But to have that split means that these two works are really good compliments. So, so there's that, but getting to the end thing. So I, I think, you know, again, I wasn't in the writer's room, so I'm not privy to all of the discussions. And I will say that at first they told me I wasn't supposed to say that they had originally shot something else, um, but I know, well, Nicola let it go. So I'm like, I'm okay. Now I can talk about it. Nicola knows everything. And she is also the nicest person in the history of the world. I oh, want to make that's that so clear. lovely. When I saw her she on the is, British Bake Off special, I thought, wow, she seems so charming. She's wonderful. 
She's, she is truly as wonderful as you think she is. I mean, not that like, I know her deeply super well, but I, I actually have had more communication with her than most of the other cast members. And she, she is truly, truly one of this, this planet's most wonderful individuals. But anyway, so I read it and, and I, I, what they were doing at the end is it looked like they were just throwing a red herring. Like it was always, they were never not going to make it Penelope, but they were going to throw a red herring to sort of trick people. And I think in the end, the decision was made that, you know, everybody's just can just Google this. Yeah. Cause you could figure it out. It's in some of the descriptions and the reviews and the comments. Yeah. It's pretty, it's kind of like, is a movie a spoiler once it's being shown on an airplane? Can you talk about a movie when it's on like, you know, Delta domestic flights? When, when is it a spoiler? It, Hard to say, yeah. but this is old info. Exactly. And so I think they were just like, you know, we could be trying to fool people, but, you know, and it's for one thing to fool, you know, try to fool them for the first eight episodes when nobody knows to look up. Right. You know, other than the readers. At this point, I think they, so they reshot it. But what's really funny is they didn't tell me they reshot it. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> so I got all the episodes before you did, um, early versions that I saw in this sort of proprietary Netflix Yes, the press room. Yeah. (laughs) So you should see me when I was like, what? (laughs) So I actually, I got the same surprise as everyone else. I thought it was going to be the other ending. Oh, wow. So, you know, I mean, how about that? I mean, plot twist that the author didn't know about. (laughs) And I'm like, well, I got to get my email out. Like, "Ah!" Like, what (laughs) happened? But I think the way that they ended up, revealing it really, really worked. Like you said, it introduces everybody to this character who is both very powerful and not very powerful. And then you get the full context of that character in the first season. Yeah. And hopefully it makes everybody want to go back and watch it again. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they move forward this because Lady Whistledown did do some things, you know, with the changes that were between the book and the television show she she did do some things that were perhaps had more real world consequences than she did in the book. Yeah. Um, so that's that is interesting. Now, Agnes actually asked how involved you were in the production of Bridgerton, which she said she enjoyed a lot. Does production cut into your writing time? Now, I know that you aren't involved because you've just said so, but I know that you you visited during the filming of season one. And I'm presuming that's not possible with COVID protocols for season two, but do you get to see the scripts for season two? What is your involvement with the seasons two, three, and four? Okay, well, first of all, I did actually get to visit. <gasps> oh, that's two. awesome. Yeah, I didn't, also on Instagram, I didn't get to do, I mean, spend as much time as I did for season one. Um, the COVID protocols were quite strict, um, which is excellent. Yeah. Um, I think anybody who follows me in any social media aspect knows that I am a big proponent of science. Aren't you married to an infectious disease specialist? Yes. My husband is a board certified medical doctor in the field of infectious diseases. So this is Um, slightly something you might know a little bit about. Yeah. Well, a little bit more than the average bear, um, but not as much as a doctor. Right. We keep talking about this. We haven't scheduled it, but I will say that we're going to do this now so that we get locked in. I'm actually planning to do a Facebook live with him so that readers can ask him questions. I think that is such a smart idea. Given the Um, amount of misinformation that's running around Facebook every 12 seconds, that is really, really smart. You have to wait 12 seconds for misinformation. Mine is much faster than that. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't always Um, check it. He's also a, um, 
he's really good at explaining things. He he wins he, teaching awards. He he's a professor at University of Washington at, in the medical school, and he wins teaching awards all the time. Um, he's done over two hundred interviews uh, during the pandemic, mostly because I, I think when a reporter finds a doctor or a scientist who can actually speak articulately and at a level that lay people can understand, they just grab them. They're like, we are going to call you forever. Yep. Um, and so in fact, there's this one reporter here in Seattle, the local news we love, her name's Tammy Mutasa. And he's done so many interviews with Tammy that when he did one for someone else, we were all like, you're cheating on Tammy. It's <laughs> not cool. She's going to be like, really hurt, man. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we really like Tammy. Tammy, by the way, is originally from Zimbabwe, which is also where Reggae Jean Page is originally from. And she was telling me how, like, he's basically like national, like hero of the of, like, the whole country right now. She said, you can't go anywhere without people being like, oh my God, you know, he's from here. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, he was, he was a heartthrob in how many languages? Many, many, many. Man. I think we hit the top 10. Well, we hit the top 10 of Netflix in every Netflix country in the world, except I should make people guess, but um, except Japan, every other country in the world, we hit the top 10. And in, I don't remember how many we hit number one, but it was, it was really, really remarkable. Did you think that would happen when it was optioned? Did you think this was going to, I mean, it had a perfect landing at the perfect time when we most needed an absolutely glorious piece of eyeball candy. Yes. Um, and I remember I said this when we were discussing it and, and I've said this to a bunch of people. I remember very clearly a moment when I was watching the first episode thinking, oh, so this is what it looks like when someone takes the thing that I love and puts a buttload of money in costume and attention and writing and treats it with respect as an adaptation. This is what happens. This is what this is like. Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> like I've seen it for other genres, but never this one. Yeah, pretty much that was my reaction too. And yep. I always thought it was going to do well. Yeah. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, I think Hollywood, you know, being run primarily by a bunch of white guys, wasn't paying attention to the fact of how many millions of mostly women read romance novels and were dying to have something adapted with a big budget. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we've had some adaptations, but they don't have the money to really put into it to make it super glorious. To make that, that was one of the most opulent things I've ever seen with my eyeballs. Oh my gosh, yes. And um, you should try seeing it in person. It's unbelievable. So I knew that there was this incredible audience for it. So I, I was pretty sure it was going to be success. We'd probably get at least one more season. I did not think it was going to do what it did. What it did. I mean, or I guess I didn't not think it. It just like, I just hadn't dreamed that big. Do you remember the press event that you did? There were like 900 people in that one Zoom. And that's when I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Before they announced, I said to them, there are a lot of fans in Brazil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they were like, oh, okay. I'm like, no, really. There, there, there are a lot of fans in Brazil. And the Brazilian fans are really effusive. Oh, Brazilian fans love the series and love romance. Yes. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right, right. And then literally one day after... They announced it. They were like, oh my gosh, we need to get an interpreter on staff because <laughs> they couldn't believe the Brazilian fans. And so, you know, of course they were going to get a lot of the Brazilian fans in there because they just, you know. It was they wonderful. Make it, it was really exciting. But um, I do want to do a call out about Brazilian fans and how much they love romance and that it truly is the work of one person. And that is my editor at um, Editorial uh, Arquero who, her name is Nana Vaz de Castro. 
And she was an exchange student in the United States, I think for high school. And while she was here, she started reading Regency romance historicals and loved them. She ended up going into publishing and she pitched to her bosses. She said, look, I don't know why, you know, Brazilian publishing was doing contemporary romance. Right. I mean, not tons of it, like Nora Roberts was, you know, stuff like that. And she said, I really want to do these historical romances. They really had only been done there in a very kind of fly-by-night way, mm-hmm. like newsprint sold in kiosks. She said nobody had been properly publishing them as real books. Mm-hmm. And so she started a program at Arquero with me and Lisa Kleypas and um, Mary Baylog. Just the three of us launched. And it was such a success that, you know, they started slowly adding in more authors and then other publishers started doing it too. But it really honestly comes down to this one person saying, I really think there's a market here and I think we can bring this into this country. That's and so, so cool. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. She's one of the, just the loveliest people. That's amazing. So Kelly asked, I know the Bridgertons are all the rage deservedly, but Miranda Cheever is my favorite Quinn heroine. Which of your non-Bridgerton characters are closest to your heart? Those kids, it's always so hard to to answer that because like they're all they all they all have something different that are yeah. important to me. Um, I really like I find the ones that like are maybe the closest to my heart are often not the main characters because like sometimes I can have more fun with the side characters. So I'm going to go right now with Francis who is the like 12 year old girl in the Smythe Smith quartet who is obsessed with unicorns. It's really funny. Like I think Francis got to be such a thing that people assumed I was obsessed with unicorns. <laughs> um, I actually, you know, have can take unicorns, leave your, I mean, they're fine. Guess, they're fine. Yeah. I mean, I like whatever, you know, be really cool to poop rainbows. I don't know. I had so much fun with Francis. I've gotten a lot of people will ask me to write a story about Francis, and I don't think I can because I just I, I can't grow her up. Agnes asked, "Is there anything that you're interested in exploring or haven't gotten around to?" And Laura had a related question. I appreciate the risks she's taken on some books, such as the dual point of view Two Dukes of Wyndham series. What is something else you'd like to try in the future? Ooh, I don't know, but I would just like to say thank you for bringing that up because. Um, I'm actually, I'm really proud of the two Dukes of Wyndham. That was, um, so for people who don't know this, it was two stories that are interconnected that share the same external plot, right? but each have their own love story. Yeah. But since they share the same external plot, there are a number of scenes that take place in both books, but from different points of view. And when I was coming up with this whole idea, originally I was thinking what one book, you know, I was like, it came about from a, a lyric from a Dire Straits song called Industrial Disease. Mm-hmm. And there's a line in there I remember loving so much. I think it was in high school or junior high when it came out. It was, two men say they're Jesus. One of them must be wrong. Which, of course, I thought was so clever. Yeah. But anyway, so that, of course, being a romance author, I'm thinking, okay, well, two men say they're the Duke of something. One of them must be wrong. I was like, ooh, that's a cool idea. And, and the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, which one would be the bad guy and which one would be the good guy? And then I was like, oh, what if they're both good guys? Ooh. That, that's much more interesting and much more like, you know, Julia Quinnish, because I don't do bad guys as much as a lot of other people. And so then I was like, okay, now I have two books. And I realized that in order to, to, to write these two books so that neither story was overly formed by the other story, I was going to have to write them simultaneously. Ouch, brain. Yeah. And so the first 
big challenge was to write the joint outline. Right, right, right. Um, which I think I went through like 17 versions of. I mean, not 17 completely fresh versions. It's just edited because I actually kept switching who fell in love with who. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I would write them simultaneously because I just, I wanted to make sure that I didn't box the other couple into a corner. Right. And I allowed them to do what those characters wanted to do kind of in real time as I wrote it. It was an incredibly wonderful writing experience for me, which I will never do again. <laughs> So Kate wanted to know, what are your comfort reads? What are things that you read for comfort or watch? Because there's a lot of comfort watching going on too. Yeah, I've been definitely doing a lot of watching um, because that's something I can do more easily with my family. Um, I will say, I don't know if it's comforting, but my husband and I have been watching Succession, which is amazing. So well-written. You know, you know, a big comfort watch is, is called the midwife. I have heard people say that it's really comforting television. It is. There's something very gentle about it. Have you watched the first season of All Creatures Great and Small, the new version? I have not. Okay. It's gorgeous, pastoral, countryside eye candy. So far, it is so pretty and comforting and cozy, like the original story, but the, the, the cinematography is just gorgeous. Ooh, yeah, ooh. which is part right, of what I really, like about this this kind of comfort show. It's it's eye candy as much as it is brain candy. Yeah, I feel like I need to like comfort read books. I read a lot of hockey romance. No kidding. I am not sure why. I also love I love dystopian books. Really, post apocalyptic books. And so, if people if people have suggestions, I would you know please put them in the comments of this podcast because I would love I'd love to read them. One, one I really liked, Life as We Knew It, which was, I am blanking on the author's name, Susan Beth Pfeffer. That's it. So that was a young adult novel and it came out, gosh, over a decade ago, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the plot of that one was that I think a, a meteor or some sort of object in space hits the moon, knocks the moon closer to earth. And so, and then you have all sorts of things that happen because of that, you know, mostly with tides and and, and weather patterns and everything. So I thought it was very, very interesting. That is um, cool. Now, I don't know how much you can say about season two of Bridgerton in progress. Is there anything you can say about it? Like, are you, do you get scripts? Do you get pictures? I do get scripts in general. So I am a consultant on the series, which, which doesn't necessarily mean I, I do a lot, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm there if they need me. It's, it's delightful. I, I, I assume you saw the clip season two? I did. I mean, is she Kate or is she Kate? Oh my gosh. Even just the expression on her face, just the smile, the, I am barely tolerating your behind smile was perfection. Yeah. And I, so I think, you know, one of the things that I thought was so fascinating about season one was, you know, it, it did, it absolutely followed the overall story arc of Simon and Daphne. Um, the characters were completely true to who they were in the book. And yet, you'd be really hard pressed to find any part that's word for word pulled from the book. Yeah, um, lots of scenes were changed um, in, in meaning, but they. So it's really a masterful adaptation, and it's really like that in season two as well. There, there's very little that's word for word from the book, but the characters are absolutely true to who they are. The overall story is is true to the to the Viscount who loved me. And I, I think people are going to love it. I have not seen much more than you have at right. this point. And by much, I mean, almost nothing. I, I saw what I saw filmed on the day I was on set. Right. And that's all I've seen so far. 
It was amazing. And, and I think I am allowed to say where they were filming. It was at Hampton Court Palace. Oh. And the only reason I'm allowed to tell you now is that they're done filming there. Um, before, they, they, so they're, they're like, we're super secret about where we film because then the press comes. And sure enough, like there was a paparazzi there, you know, with like a long, one of those super long uh, telephoto lenses. And oh, like, wow. while I was there, you know, somebody from Netflix publicity is like, all right, we got a paparazzi, blah, 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 you know, in their little walkie talkie. Whoa. And I know, but like, I even asked them permission. I was like, look, can I post some pictures on social media? Because I got a private tour of Hampton Court Palace, which I thought it was so amazing. I mean, imagine being like at like the Louvre and having it to yourself or that, something. That's unreal. It, it was absolutely unreal. But I mean, it was closed to tourists because they were filming right. and they arranged for this guy who does PR for six different royal sites to take me and then two people from Netflix on a private tour. And then the, we have the woman who actually has the keys. Oh, that's unreal. Yeah. So we're going around there. It was five of us, you know, and she's literally like opening doors for us. And I got to go in a couple rooms that are not normally open to the public. Oh, that's so cool. They are bedrooms with the original fabric on the bed. Fabric is so old and delicate that just they, they have to be super careful about light, but yeah. also just you put that many people in the room and even if they're not touching it, the air and stuff like that, yep. it was incredible. And we got to hear all these really, really cool stories. So what are you working on presently? Uh, I'm working on life in general. Um, it is a I, lot. Yeah. I, I need to get going on a new novel. Um, I, I haven't been writing much uh, just life has really gotten in the way, you know, first there was the pandemic, which is still ongoing. And we are incredibly fortunate in that nobody in my family has gotten sick, Yeah, uh, which is wonderful. But um, my husband is, he, I mean, he is as exhausted as a human being can be. And, and, and not just that he's exhausted in every possible way a human being can be exhausted. He is mentally exhausted. He's physically exhausted. He's emotionally exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, I, my children's lives were disrupted in a huge way. And so for a while, I was just like, you know what? I'm in a position where I can just support my family right now. Yep. Um, and and I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that, you know, I had the financial means to do that. But also, I just like, I just, I just want to be there for them. Mm -hmm. So there was that. And then um, I, I wasn't necessarily going to talk about this, but um, I experienced a great family tragedy this year as well. Yeah, the the introduction of the of the book where you talked about the web of family support that inspired the Bridgertons, that gave me a lot of sympathy and empathy pain for you because I know that's a big piece of the web that's missing now. Yeah. So for, for people who may not be aware, um, my father and youngest sister were killed um at the end of June in an accident. Well, no, I don't want to call it an accident because it's not an accident. It's vehicular homicide. Yeah. Um I'm I still it's amazing how quickly you call a car crash an accident, but it is vehicular homicide. They were killed by a drunk driver. There was a catering truck that did not secure their load properly mm -hmm. and something spilled onto the highway. And my father, who was driving, either slowed down or stopped. We, I don't know which. And they were hit from behind by a drunk driver driving a very large pickup truck. And he had been drinking for three days straight. Good God. He had been dry. He drove from Idaho to Utah drinking the entire time. His blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. Um, and so 
that has really consumed a lot of my life and energy since then. Um, Grief is such an exhausting process too. It is. Also, my sister and I had just finished collaborating on a book. Yes, the graphic um, novel, the Butterworth novel. Yes, and and that was done. She was actually in the process of fixing something with the black ink, and she was almost done with that. And then, of course, you know, after she died, we couldn't get into her computer to get access to these files. It took us like three months, and so that's part of the reason why the book is delayed. Right. But what ended up happening was, you know, right after their death, Harper Collins pushed the graphic novel back instantly. Cause they, you know, they, they were wonderful. Like, don't worry, don't worry. You know, and I immediately started hearing from readers who were, you know, what's going on? Why is this, you know, this, uh, you know, and they were very upset. Yeah. I mean, they weren't mean, but they were very upset. And then, you know, I was like, I, I can't deal with this right now. And then people who are like friends of friends of friends who, maybe had heard about what had happened, but didn't really know me well enough to have any sort of personal access to me, started posting condolence notes. Oh, and you hadn't said anything. Public forum, oh. Which is, it's lovely of them. I, I, I don't fault them for this at all, but I, it made me realize I'm going to have to make a public statement, Ouch. Um, which was really odd. And so I did about, I think it was about a week after it happened. I had not expected it to get picked up the way it did. Yeah in the news. And it did. I mean, it was covered on NPR. And so it was, it was very odd to have it play out in such a public manner. Yeah. Especially because you set, you separate your family and your work life very deliberately. Like you don't really talk about your kids. You, 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 you have a pretty firm division between professional and personal and to have that crossover and then have to, have to navigate that is really hard. Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I'm also just learning all these practical aspects of people dying that, you know, I've never had to deal with before. I haven't really wanted to do much writing, but hopefully I will again soon. It's been very tough and um, I'm kind of mentally gearing up to write in memoriam page for the graphic novel. It's it's really heartbreaking because this was going to be such a big thing for my sister. You know, she, she'd had kind of a tumultuous 20s and was really coming out on the other side and was about to do something just amazing. And was we were trying to come up with an idea for another graphic novel. The, the proceeds from this graphic novel will be going towards the healthcare of her husband who was injured in the crash. Oh, no. I'm so sorry that that happened. Thank you. Would you be willing to tell me a memory of your sister that makes you laugh? The one that comes to you first was she's quite a bit younger than me. She's my half sister. Um, so she's 14 years younger than, than me. And when I was 27 and she was 13, I took her on a trip to England, um, which was really special. And I had, when I booked all the tickets. And this was when people still use like travel agents in person for the most part. It wasn't all on the web. I I said to them, you know, we, we decided we we're going to spend, I think, about half our time in London and half our time driving around the country. And I said, I would like to pick up the car at Heathrow. And they said, no, 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 you can get it right in London. I said, I do not want to drive in central London. I said, I would like to get on the tube, go all the way to Heathrow and pick up the car there. And they're like, no, you don't want you, we can, you can get it right in Mayfair. It'd be so much easier for you. I was like, it really will not. Please, please car Heathrow. Well, I'm sure you know what happened. I get all my paperwork. It's like, pick up your car in Mayfair. I'm like, really? <laughs> and so we go, we pick up the car in Mayfair and I am like terrified. Okay. I'm just like, okay, okay. Do not, don't speak. Don't speak. You know, I've got to get, like, you can't say a word to get out of town. We must've gone around Hyde Park corner like 14 times before I was able to actually exit. <laughs> and at one point I was like, 
don't speak to me, don't speak to me. And then probably about two or three days into the trip, you know, we're off like somewhere in the countryside. We're going around a little roundabout. I mean, nobody's there to find. She goes, can I talk in the roundabouts yet? (laughs) Because I had been like, no talking in the roundabouts. (laughs) Roundabouts yet? That was, that was just like one of those things that would come up every now and then, you know, out of nowhere, she, you know, we'd be driving. She goes, can I talk in the roundabouts? <laughs> it's the, you know, roundabouts are very stressful. If you were, if you were in a country where you're driving on the other side. Oh, and- forget it. I can't even cross the street in England. I get, I forget which way. So am I supposed to look right, but look left, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should look. And then by the time I've looked in every direction, there's a car. So I can't cross. And in London, you need it because there's so many one-way streets. Yeah. So it changes time. They, they, they paint it on the ground. Mm-hmm. When you cross street, it says, look right or look left. And I'm just like, I really appreciate this. Whoever did this. Thank oh. you for saving me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I, was in a, when I was in Australia, it was shortly after the Olympics, and they had that painted on the ground. And I thought, oh, thank you. I like to be able to cross the street without looking like I don't know where I am on the planet. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend a book to you that actually... That is a huge plot point of looking the wrong way. Really? Code Name Verity. <gasps> oh, okay. It is so good. Um, that book, the, the only word is devastating. I, I couldn't put it down. I read it straight until about three in the morning. And then for the next hour, just lay paralyzed in bed, staring at the ceiling, being like, what just happened? Oh, Wow. Now, my next question from Kate is a very important question. What mm-hmm. is your favorite snack food? Oh, well, that depends on whether I'm going salty or sweet. This is, a, this is a very big question. So do you have one for each category? I think so, yes. So sweet, I'm an ice cream girl. I can down a pint of ice cream like, like nobody's business. Like I have to like, I really should know better. And I should put some in the bowl because I will just keep. Yeah, keep yeah, going. I love ice cream. Um, and then for salty, it's popcorn. Really? Anything on the popcorn? Just salt and butter? I mean, salt and butter, that's the classic. But, right. You know, I love a good cheesy popcorn. Oh, cheese popcorn is the best, especially when you the cheese just lives on your fingers and you can't get it off. I know. And then you're like, yep. Right. You've got the weirdest manicure ever. It's just orange on the ends. Yeah. And then, of course, there's that delicious cheese caramel stuff, too. Oh, that stuff is good. That stuff is also good. I'm under strict instructions. Anytime I go through O'Hare, I have to pick that up. Oh, but, yeah. Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. when at the holidays we used to get the the triple section of like big tin of popcorn where one section was white cheese, mm-hmm. one section was cheddar, one second was was caramel. And that was when I realized if you ate some of them together it was mind-blowingly good. Do you have a preferred ice cream flavor? Oh, I like many, many types of ice cream. I mean, I'm definitely a caramel person. Right. I love a good salted caramel. I love anything with Dolce de Leche, but then sometimes I'm also in a fruit mood. Haagen-Dazs, strawberry ice cream. I feel like strawberry ice cream is often overlooked. People just forget, you know, the kind of beauty of a good strawberry ice cream. It's true. It's very true. So I always ask, what books are you reading that you want to tell people about? Or is there any book you want to recommend beyond Codename Verity, which was, which is going to destroy me? Yeah, that's going to destroy you. And also life as we knew it's good. So I I was thinking about this, like, because I know you always ask people this. And I'm going to recommend that people, and maybe, you know, if they're smart bitches readers, they may already know this, but sort of one historical romance writer that I think is just so undersung is Julie Ann Long. I think she is such a talented writer and anybody who likes my books should pick up her books. I think 
I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's so smart. You know, I'll be reading them sometimes thinking like, I am such a hack. Um, <laughs> I mean, her books, they're just, they're really, really smart. And I love, you know, she's got this long series called Penny Royal Green, which she, I, I believe she has wrapped that one up and she's yeah. now in a different series, which is also wonderful. But Penny Royal Green is super fun because, you know, you can pick it up and just keep going. Yep. Um, and there's an overarching like, mystery that goes through all of the books, which is nice. Yeah. It, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I said, try call the midwife. If you start it, you've got what, like 10 seasons are all set. So if you start Penny Royal Green with the first book, which I believe is called The Perils of Pleasure, you are set for a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I want to say there's maybe 14. And so I think she's a real unsung hero of historical romance. And I would love for more people to read her books. Thank you so much for doing this interview. And again, my condolences. I'm so sorry that it has been so hard. Thank you. I will. Oh, I do want to add, actually, one thing that my family has done to honor my father is we've established a scholarship in his name through the Summer Science Program, which is a (laughs) exactly what it sounds like. It's a science program for high school students in the summer that he actually took part in when he was 16. And then later in his life, um, when it was starting to fall apart, he and some other alums kind of went in and revitalized it. And now it's this really well-respected, wonderful summer program that does, I think, astrophysics and environmental science. And it's really wonderful. And so we are working on raising enough money to establish an annual scholarship for uh, a student with financial need. And then also there will be a Kotler Prize given to the student who, in the opinion of the faculty, demonstrates the most exuberance and love of learning. And if you've ever met my dad, there's nobody who is more exuberant and there's nobody who loved learning more. So we felt that that was a fitting um, tribute. And I have to say that working on that has been incredibly healing for me. I guess somewhere I'll post a link or I'll give you the link. Give it to me. I'll put it in the show notes. That would be great. And you can just learn a little bit more about the summer science program, because if you have a high school student who's interested in science, it's a really great summer program. Or if you would like to uh, donate towards this scholarship fund, you can do that. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to Julia Quinn for joining me and for sharing memories of her family. I will have links to all of the things that we talked about in this episode, and I will have links to all of the books we mentioned as well. And if you have post-apocalyptic ideas for Julia Quinn, drop them in the comments at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Gainful. There is nothing more personal than your health. So when it comes to finding the right nutrition supplements to meet your fitness goals, you need a personalized approach. Thankfully, now there's Gainful, a personalized nutrition system that's formulated for your body and your goals. I started by taking the five-minute Gainful quiz, which considers my dietary needs, my fitness and health goals, and my unique physiology to personalize my formula. But this is my favorite part. The supplement is flavorless, and I receive different flavor boosts so I can customize how I want my supplement to taste. Chocolate and peanut butter? Matcha green tea? It's up to me. I have options, and I'm not stuck with a giant tub of one flavor that I'm going to get tired of. It's a total win. Start your personalized fitness journey today with Gainful. Get $20 off your personalized supplements by going to Gainful.com slash Sarah. That's Gainful.com slash Sarah for $20 off. Gainful, personalized nutrition made for your tastes. As always, I end each episode with an absolutely dreadful joke. This joke comes from a recent podcast guest. In episode number 478 in October... 
Rebecca Slit from Choice of Games was a guest, and we talked about interactive gaming, and she has sent me a joke. According to Rebecca, Simon Majumdar from the Food Network has a podcast, and he likes to begin every episode with a terrible food pun, and I did not know this. My life has been opened in a new way. But here is this week's joke, courtesy of both of them. Where would you go in the bookstore to look for an Indian cookbook? Where do you go in the bookstore to look for an Indian cookbook? In the non-fiction section. (laughs) Non. (laughs) I love it. It's a food and a book pun. Oh, so, so cool. Thank you, Rebecca. I am so delighted to have this joke. If you would like to send me a joke, you can always do so at sbjpodcast at gmail.com or at Sarah with an H at smartpitchestrashybooks.com. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you a wonderful weekend with great reading. And if you are celebrating Chanukah Sameach, I hope your night and every night is filled with light and really good smells. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find excellent podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>